some of the mistakes that people made. And I was thinking uh, just a little bit earlier about something that Guy Woods said in a sermon that he preached years ago. But the Guy Woods was well known back years ago. And sometimes when I say that, I almost have to tell people who Guy Woods was. You know, because those of us that are my age and somewhat younger know who Guy Woods was. But if you're younger, you may have never heard of that name. Studied the Bible a lot, knew a lot about the Bible, and he's not an idol or a god to us. He didn't know everything, but he was a good man. He was a good Bible student. And he had a really, really good grasp of the Bible in so many different ways, and we miss him. But uh, I remember hearing a sermon that Brother Woods preached one time where he was talking about Christians and, and having assurance of their salvation. And I have noticed over the years that that is one thing that uh, a lot of members of the church wrestle with, they struggle with. We, we talk about how that the idea of once saved, always saved is not true. You know, we talk about that and we look at it, but we don't explain the scriptural side of it sometimes enough. And sometimes we're so busy pointing out sin and talking about the, the penalty of sin and, and the nature of sin that we don't talk about forgiveness in the life of a Christian. And so Brother Woods was talking about that, and he was talking about the fact that some Christians don't even know if they're saved, and he said, you can know that, you can know that. You know, 1 John 5.13 says that you can. And while he was talking about that, it's very interesting that he said, if it were not like uh, stories in the Bible, like uh, the story of Peter making the mistakes that he did, or maybe even David in the Old Testament, he said, if the Bible did not record the big mistakes of good men especially, he said, sometimes I feel like I just get discouraged and quit. And that kind of surprised me when he said it. I thought, wow, he's, he's just as human as anybody else, and we should have known, I should have thought of that. But that was just his feeling about it. He was just trying to be honest about that. He said that's encouraging in that way to see that you know, great men in the Bible made some, some mistakes, and God's mercy and God's grace was with them. I don't know exactly what he was talking about. I don't know what he struggled with. I, I remember one story that I heard about Brother Woods from down in Sequatchie Valley. He used to go down there and preach a lot. And Freddie Clayton, who preaches down at the Dunlap Church of Christ, he's been there for years, uh, told me one time that uh, Brother Woods used to come and, and preach down there, and he would stay with Freddie's parents. Instead of staying in a motel, he would stay with with. Freddie's parents, that's uh, Rubel and, uh, and Patty Clayton was, was their name. And um, he said that uh, they would visit, you know, on a Saturday night after they got done with the meeting that night. And uh, of course he was ready to preach the next morning and so forth, but he said that they would talk with Brother Woods and they'd visit around. And he said that uh, uh, after they had talked and stayed up for a while, maybe to 10.30, I think that's when it came on, but he said, uh, well, if, if it's okay with you all, he said, there's one worldly pleasure that I enjoy every week. And uh, so they just kind of looked at him and uh, they said, what's that, Brother Woods? And he said, well, I rather enjoy watching an episode of Gunsmoke. <laughs> and so, so he went in there, wherever the television set was, and they said, well, that's sure, Brother Woods, you go ahead and go on in there and, and enjoy that. But we're human. We're human. Before we get to first. Samuel chapter 18, I just wanted to mention some, uh, some scriptures and, and kind of lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about tonight because this is 
this is a human challenge. It's a, it's a temptation that's, that's common to, to every person, I think, at some point and to some degree or another. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 16, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. When, when you have envy, and I don't mean necessarily you personally, but when there is envy, when a person has jealousy, you don't know what that person's going to do. There's no telling how far that will take that person. And we're about to see an example of that tonight in King Saul, but it's very, very true. So when you look at the Bible, you see stories like Genesis 4, where you have Cain and Abel, and Cain killed his brother Abel, and the Bible, in a very straightforward way, asks the question in 1 John 3, verse 12, why did he do that? It says it like this, and wherefore slew he him? That's King James Version, but what it means is, why did he kill him? Why did he kill his brother? And humanistic psychology, you know, unbelieving psychologists would look at that and try to analyze it and say, well, it depends on his genetics or it depends on his environment. And, you know, you look at all these theories about why people act the way they do and why they behave like they do. And the Bible cuts to the chase on that, like it always does. It says it this way. It says, because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Abel's life was good, Abel did right, and Cain did wrong, and that's why he killed him. No need to go into some kind of theory about environment, because who was there? I mean, he didn't have a bad neighborhood or anything like that. He did it because of his own choice. So that's one of the first times that we come across something like this in the Bible. Then, of course, in Genesis chapter 37, the Bible shows that Joseph's brothers envied him. They were jealous of him. And regardless of who contributed to that, regardless of the fact that their father loved Joseph more than them, that did not excuse what they did. You know, anybody can point to something in life and say, this is why I don't like that person, or this is why I treat that person the way that I do. This is why I've got a sour, bitter attitude, or whatever it is. Anybody can blame it on somebody or something. But the bottom line is we make our choices. All of us make our choices in life. And his brothers made a choice about that. They, they were jealous of him. And just because there might have been something that contributed to that did not force them to have the envy and the hate that they had toward their own brother. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, the Bible says that Pilate knew Pilate, the governor, knew that it was because of envy that the Jews had delivered Jesus to him. He saw it. He knew it. So the Jews were saying, well, he's a blasphemer. He's disobeyed our law. He's broken the law of Moses, and he ought to be punished. He ought to be put to death. And there's one thing that you'd have to say about Pilate. I mean, he dealt with people enough before to know what was really happening. I mean, he knew how to cut through all the talk and get to what was really at stake here. He could read people well enough to do that. So he knew what the real cause was. He, he knew why Jesus was there. It was not because they were so committed to the law of Moses because they broke it whenever they wanted to. It was because they were jealous. They were jealous because he was getting the crowds. He was pulling attention away from them. And they felt threatened by him. And it was just obvious to, to Pilate 
as somebody standing on the outside. There's something else that I wanted to mention about this, and that is before we get into the case of Saul here, and that is the very interesting passage back in the Old Testament found in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4, where the Bible says that one of the things that, that Solomon said was vain in this life is, is the fact that for every right work, a man is envied of his neighbor. For every right work, he said. I, I've, I've seen this. For every right, right work, a man is envied by his neighbor. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. So what that means and what that tells us is that anytime you do good, whatever it is, somebody's going to be jealous. Somebody's going to be jealous. Whatever you accomplish, however you succeed, whether it's in life in general or it could be even in spiritual things, in the church, whatever it is, somebody's going to be jealous. Somebody's going to be envious. And that's a hard thing to live with. I don't like it. You don't like it. If for whatever reason somebody is jealous of you about something, that's hard to deal with because jealousy is a very unreasonable thing. Sin is always unreasonable. But when you, ha you have jealousy or you have hatred or you have prejudice and these kinds of things, they're always unreasonable. They never make sense. There's never a rational basis for feeling that way. It's just a feeling. It's a work of the flesh. That's what it is. So <clears throat> I just wanted to, uh, to kind of lay a foundation by pointing that out as well, that the Bible says that for every right work, a man is envied by his neighbor. And I also wanted to put side by side with that the fact that the Bible says also that we have to be careful as Christians not to be jealous of people that do wrong. He said, well, why on earth would we be jealous of them? I mean, what, why, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about passages like Psalm 73, where a man named Asaph said, I was jealous, I was envious of the wicked when I saw the prosperity of the foolish. So what he's talking about in, in Psalm 73 is that he said, you know, it just looks like that, that people that don't care, people that are not living the Christian life, it just seems like that everything goes smoother for them. It seems like they're not in trouble like we are. It seems like they don't have as many worries and as much tribulation and suffering in their life. It just seems like things go well for them. And he said, I looked at that. And he said, to be honest about it, he said, I got jealous. He said, I was jealous of these people. And it's rare to hear somebody say, to make that confession, I was jealous. I've been preaching for 43 years. And it's been rare that I've ever heard anybody say, I, I, I'm jealous or I was jealous. I've heard a lot of confessions and I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, what they'd done or what they'd said or what they didn't do. But it's very, very rare, uh, in my experience at least, it's been very, very rare for me to hear somebody say, well, I was jealous because it's so embarrassing to us and we don't want to talk about that. And yet it's something that's, that's common to mankind. Uh, so, as, as you look at this, I want to talk about one more scripture in that regard. And, and that is that, and, and this applies to, to all kinds of sins, but I want to apply this especially to jealousy. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 13, But evil men and seducers, or deceivers, shall become worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you're going to see that in the life of, of Saul. You're going to see that he became worse and worse 
and worse. And jealousy will do that. Hatred will do that. Lust will do that. Greed will do that. If you don't cut it off, if you don't shut it down, it's just going to burn like a fire and it's going to burn and get out of control. And it'll destroy you. Any one of those things will destroy you. And that's why we have to fight those things. All right. So what I want to do is to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18 because this is, this is basically our text here. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's call it our, our text for tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I want to read verses 6 through 9. 1 Samuel 18 verses 6 through 9. This is after David killed Goliath. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 9. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now that is the turning point really in the book here. There's several turning points, but that is the one that, that really flipped the switch on Saul. The Bible says in verse 8, and Saul was angry. Is that what it says? Did I read that right? In verse 8, he was very, he was very angry. Why? Why was he very angry? What did David do to him? It's, it's jealousy, yeah. Did David do anything to him? Was this David's fault? Did David put these women up to saying that? David didn't make any choice in this. He didn't have anything to do with this. Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. There's the jealous eye. There's the old, do they still call it the green-eyed monster? They do? I hadn't heard that in a long time. Have you heard that? Am I, am I, okay, you've heard that, the green-eyed monster. Well, sometimes I take that personally because i got green eyes. I thought, why did they pick on us? <laughs> Saying everybody's green-eyed is jealous. But he's jealous. He's watching him. Now, now think about this. Uh, who is King Saul? He's the king, right? All right. What else does he have going for him? He's the king. Not much else that he has to have going for him. What did he look like physically? He's tall. Mm -hmm. Good looking. Yeah. More handsome than, than anybody in Israel, the Bible says. He's tall, he's good looking, got the highest position in the nation. So why would he feel threatened by what somebody says about somebody else? Why would he feel threatened by anybody? I mean, he's the king. Well, we got a saying at, uh, at West End, the best Bible commentary on the Bible. And it's not original with me. A lot of people have said that. But the best commentary on the Bible is what? The Bible. The Bible. So in looking at this passage... In 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'm going to recommend to you a commentary. The commentary I'm going to recommend for you to read sometime all the way through, but especially the section we're going to look at, the commentary I'm going to read on 1 Samuel 18 verses 6 through 9 
is the book of 1 Samuel. It's the book of 1 Samuel. So what I want to do right now <clears throat> is to kind of piece together some things about the character of Saul and, and then put this element of, of envy in there and show what happened to him after that. And this is probably going to take us to midnight here, but it's kind of like somebody said, you can preach as long as you want to, as long as you turn the lights out when you get done. Well, it may happen here tonight. I don't know. But, but I'm going to try it anyway. All right. So let's go back, and I'm, just, I'm going to try to go through this as quick as I can here. So this is going to be like getting on the interstate. Just speed up and stay with me here. I don't mean to go over it too fast, but I, I just want to summarize this. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. I just want to pick out a few verses in these chapters that show what the character of this man is like and, and then add on top of that the envy that comes in there. And this, I tell you what, you talk about a case study, you talk about a psychological profile of a man, you, you talk about something to, to look at as far as human nature is concerned. And, and sometimes I have thought about why, why does the Bible spend all these chapters in the book of 1 Samuel talking about such a man that made a mess out of so much? I mean, you're talking about a huge section here. You're talking about 1 Samuel 9 all the way through 31, and, and that's not even including what's recorded in the book of Chronicles uh, about him. God spends a lot of time talking about this man. Well, folks, one of the things we have to remember is the Bible teaches us by good examples, but it also teaches us by bad examples. So it gives us a lot of good people. It gives us a lot of good examples to follow and to say, I want to be like that. That encourages me. But it also gives you bad examples because you look at it and you say, I hope I'm not like that. I hope I'm not like that. And if I am, I hope that I change. I don't want to be like that. That's the effect that even today being around bad people has on us. You're just more committed. So whether you're around good people or bad people, you just you, you learn from that situation. All right, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 10. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says that Samuel anointed him with a vial of oil. Uh, Samuel told him down in verse 6, verse 6, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be turned into another man. Now, whatever that means, we know that God didn't take away his free will. We know that he made choices. We know that he made choices. Whatever he became, whatever he was, he made the choice to be that. But what happens here is, is that, that Samuel tells him something that he's to do. And, and this, this is kind of his first test here. This is his first test. In verse 8, he said, You'll go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings, seven days shall you tarry till I come to you and show you what you shall do. So you wait seven days. Where? What, what's the place? You wait seven days in Gilgal, and when I get there, then I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Because Saul is the king. He is, he is not a Levite. He is not to offer sacrifice. He's not authorized to do that, and he knows that. He said, you wait there for me, and you wait seven days. So <clears throat> what we find then is that it comes time for, for Saul to present himself before the people, and the announcement is made, this is the man, this is going to be your king, because they cried out for a king, and they just insisted on having a king. I mean, that's where it started back in chapter 8. Give us a king, give us a king. 
God said, all right, I'm going to give you one, but you're not going to like what's going to happen here eventually. No, no, we want a king. Okay. So God says, your king is going to be this man. And the first, the first meeting, really, of, of Saul and the people is interesting because they, they looked for Saul. You know, they, they, they took it down to the different tribes and the different families, and they came down to Saul. And in verse 22, the Bible says, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he has hid himself among the stuff, among the cargo, among the baggage and the luggage, that kind of thing, the cargo. He's hid himself. And it's interesting here that, that God said that. God said he's, he's hiding over there. Now, he's already been anointed to be the king. He's already been anointed. And the Bible says that, that, that Samuel explained his great mission. And he's hiding. He's hiding. They brought him out. The Bible says he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. Well, let's go to chapter 11 real quickly here. Chapter 11. <clears throat> chapter 11, verse 1. Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. So this is an enemy of the Jewish people. And Saul put them to flight. Saul fought against them and he did a great job. Verse 11, and it was so in the morning that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. So they defeated those Ammonites. And some of the people in verse 12 said, you know, those people that said about you when you were first announced to be king, well, he's not going to reign over us. There were some, some bad people, some rebels who said, we're not going to have this man to reign over us. That was earlier. Uh, those, uh, some of the Jews said to, to Samuel <clears throat> in verse 12, and the people said to Samuel, who is he that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord has wrought salvation in Israel. So I just want to make the point there that he's being the bigger man in this. Some people had bad-mouthed him, and he said, no, we, we're not going to put them to death. We're not, this is not a matter of personal vengeance here, in other words. He's the king. He's got power. I'm just showing you what a change now is about to take place in this man. All right? Now, 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Here we have a war with the Philistines. So Saul is, is the head of the people. Now we have war with the Philistines. And the Bible says that those Philistines numbered in the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. So the Bible says in verse 6, When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves, thickets, rocks, high places, and in pits. Some of the Hebrews, verse 7, went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. This is chapter 13. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days. In other words, it, it was the seventh day, but it wasn't over. It wasn't done. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And that's when Saul made a big, big mistake. Instead of listening to what Samuel, the prophet of God, plainly told him, he got anxious. He got anxious. And he took it on himself 
to offer the sacrifice. The Bible says in verse 9, Saul said, bring here a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon, verse 10, as soon as he'd made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? What a question. It's kind of like you ask your kids sometimes. I mean, I know that you've done that. You know what they've done, but you, know, you, you just want to see what they're going to say. What have you done, Saul? What have you done? And I, I told you not to do this. And Saul had an excuse for it, and Samuel told him, he said, you've done foolishly, and because of this, you, your role, your position is going to be given to somebody else. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. They're still fighting with the Philistines. And here we have Jonathan, the son of Saul, that enters into the picture. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And here we see how harsh and unreasonable this man could be. I'm talking about his father, Saul. Jonathan said, let's go over and fight these Philistines. He wasn't with his father at that time. He and some other men were by themselves. And Jonathan said, look, we can beat some of these guys. And so let's go over here and let's fight against them. And he was right about it because there was a slaughter there. And when this started an even further fight between them, there was a lot of noise. And the Bible says that Saul, Saul knew that something was up. And he said, I, I, I want us to, to see throughout the camp here of our army who's missing. And it came back to him, Jonathan. Jonathan's missing. Well, the Bible tells us that that day <clears throat> Saul had talked to the people and he said, I don't want you to eat anything until evening so that I can be avenged of my enemies here, these Philistines. I don't want you to eat anything. Now you talk about unreasonable. When you want your soldiers to fight but you don't want them to eat, that's, that's not even sensible. But this is how unreasonable this man could be at times. Well, the Bible says that he made them swear. He, he said, we're going to take an oath here. No man is to touch any food. Well, Jonathan wasn't there when he gave that oath. And Jonathan, his men found some, some honey, and they ate some of that honey, and it gave them some energy. It revived them, and then they started fighting again. Well, when, when Jonathan was brought to his dad, when he was brought before his father, his father said, what, what have you done? And, and Jonathan said, look, I've, I've eaten a little honey and I've gained strength. Are you going to kill me for this? Saul said, yep, yep, we're going to kill you. We're going to put you to death. Now, it's his own son. And what's his, what's his crime? He's eaten a little honey. So you see where this is going with this man? You, you see what happens when, when a person is, is unreasonable and when they go down that road, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So that's what we've got in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And what happens here is an indication of, of his failure as a leader. Because when you're that unreasonable, people see it and they lose respect for you. And the people did. So what happens here is the people, the men say, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to kill him. They, they said to the king, these people stood up to the king and said to the king, you're not going to put Jonathan to death. And they overrode him. They overrode what he said. And that was just another turning point there. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 15. It gets worse and worse as you go through this. 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Bible says <clears throat> in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 
verse 3, Samuel told him, Now go and smite Amalek, the Amalekites, and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul took his soldiers out, and they battled against those Amalekites and destroyed the people, but, verse 9, Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep, and the ox, and the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good. And then they destroyed everything else. That is not what God told him to do. That's not what he was supposed to do, and he knew that. Now watch the stubbornness here. Watch how this man started out, and, and he was just, he was fair, even with people that were bad-mouthing him. But, but notice how it gets progressively worse. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel came to him in verse 13. Verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, he didn't even wait for Samuel to ask him a question about it. What, what, did, what did Saul say to him? What did he say he'd done? I, I've done what he told me to do. Yeah. Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, it's a funny thing to me. What, what's that sound I hear in my ears here? What, what's that bleeding? What, what, what's the animal sounds I hear back there? Well, Saul said, well, you know, in verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen and so forth. Samuel said to him, verse 16, you stay. In other words, you, you stay right here. And let me tell you what the Lord has said to me about you. And he lets him have it. And he talks to him about how he's disobeyed the Lord. He has not obeyed what the Lord told him to do. And I want you to notice what Saul said in verse 20. When, when Samuel told him, the Lord told me, you have disobeyed the voice of the Lord. What did Saul say in verse 20? Huh? Yeah, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, look at it there. And Saul said to Samuel, yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Are we having a communication problem here? No, we've got a stubbornness problem. We've we got somebody that just does not want to admit that he's wrong. Yes, I have. You know better than that. He knows better than that. Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And that's when Samuel answered him in verse 22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You talk about a powerful verse. You talk about a verse that a lot of people just read and just kind of skim over it and just kind of take a glancing look at it, but don't really think it through. You, you think about what it's... Let me read that again. Rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's what Saul had done. He had rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, that's like the sin of witchcraft. Now, if people then were like a lot of people today, maybe even in the church, those people then would have thought or maybe said, well, now, wait a minute. He wouldn't go that far. Now, just because he didn't do what God told him here, I mean, he did all the rest. I mean, he killed all the rest of them. Let's give him credit. I'm just saying this is how a lot of people would reason. Look at all those other people that he killed. He, he carried, look, just one exception. He, just, he didn't kill the king, and he didn't kill all of those animals. But look at what else he did. He did take God's vengeance out on those people, so <clears throat> doesn't that count? Can't we overlook this? <clears throat> how, how, how could that be 
like the sin of witchcraft. And you know where that's headed, don't you? A lot of you know where that's headed? Would you nod your head if you know exactly where that's headed in this book? Where he ends up? All right, some of you are not nodding, so I gotta rush on here. <clears throat> All right, how much time do I have, Larry? Are you about ready to give the th thumbs up? Oh no. Oh my, well, uh, a few hours anyway. <clears throat> All right, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to try to cram all this in two minutes here. <clears throat> I'm going to do the impossible. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 18, after David killed Goliath, and after this is said, I want you to notice now, I want you to notice how that Saul just gets worse and worse. All right? <clears throat> after he eyes, starts eyeing David and starts watching him, the Bible says in verse 10 and 11 that he tries to kill him. He throws that spear at him. And, and tell me how Saul felt in verse 12. Saul was what? Fear. Fear. He's the king, but he's afraid. He's afraid of David. Is he afraid of him physically? Is he afraid of him physically? I don't think so. I mean, how could he? How could he be? I mean, Saul's got the soldiers and the guards on his side. I mean, what can David do to him physically? But there's a fear there. It's a fear that comes from a bad conscience. Um, because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. He's afraid of, of God's role in this. I want you to look down at verse uh, 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, that is David, he was what? He's afraid of him. Third time, look down at verse 29. Saul had tried to set him up by getting David to marry his daughter. And then he said, you can marry my daughter if you go kill a hundred Philistines. And what he tried to do was get David killed. But <clears throat> David surprised him. Look down at verse 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. So three times in that chapter, he's afraid. So now you got the stubbornness. you got the anxiety in him. He's rash. He's, he, he jumps. And, and now he's jealous. And now he's afraid. You see how all these things just tend to accumulate in a person's mind? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Uh, he gets so mad at Jonathan that the Bible says that Jonathan got up from the meal in fierce anger with his father. I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 28 here, and then I'm going to try to, to close this down here. 1 Samuel chapter 28. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 4, the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not what? He did not answer him, neither by dreams, Urim, nor by the prophets. And then Saul said to his servants, Seek me a woman that has what? King James says, Familiar spirit. You got a new King James that says what? Medium, or in other words, what? A fortune teller, a witch. Rebellion, when you take a, when rebellion gets in our hearts, and I pray that it doesn't, but when rebellion gets in a man's heart, there's no telling what he'll do. Because rebellion, if, if rebellion's there, and, and, and rebellion will cause a man to set aside one of God's laws, it won't stop there. It will not stop there. It'll go worse and worse and farther and farther. That's exactly what's happened to this man. And what ends up in his life is that in 1 Samuel chapter 31, 
he falls on his sword and dies there with suicide. Just a sad, sad story. And I hope that this lesson has helped you here tonight. I, I just urge you uh, to, really, to really get the, the force of this. I mean for it to really hit home with you. And I don't mean that you're necessarily guilty of this. I don't mean that. But for you really to get the power of what we've looked at here in the Bible tonight. You, you read that whole story. Read this whole book. And you'll stand back and say, my, my, what an insightful story. What a powerful story. I hope it's helped you here tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here.